We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 22 this evening. Matthew and chapter 22. We are in the midst of the Lord's ministry after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The most detail is given of this week of any week in uh, our Lord's life. A lot of chapters spent on it in John chapter 12 through uh, the end of the book, Matthew 21 through the end of the book, Mark, uh, a goodly number of chapters as well as Luke. In any case, uh, we introduced the chapter with the um, parable of the wedding feast and uh, the Lord wanting his, uh, his servants to go out and find people to join the uh, celebration, really, of the wedding of his son, uh, the king wanting that. And um, we know what happened there. Many people uh, ignored it or made light of it. Uh, even one went in uh, inappropriately garbed. And uh, so the Lord giving a little parable of the kingdom of heaven and how it is that many are called but few are chosen. Then we looked at the Pharisees' question about, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? The Lord gave um, a very good answer to that question that uh, teaches us that there are kind of two realms, if you will, the secular and the religious. Um, and uh, he answered that question so that they were uh, just uh, kind of astonished, marveled, and left and went on their way. And then uh, the Sadducees took their crack at the Lord uh, with the question that they asked about the resurrection, and they concocted this very ridiculous situation, thinking that it would cause an, uh, an impasse at the pearly gates, so to speak, when uh, the woman finally went into heaven, who was going to be the man to be her husband? Well, that was all a wrong assumption. And so their thought that that idea invalidates the doctrine of the resurrection was also totally false uh, because they were ignorant of a couple of things. Uh, the Pharisees failed to achieve their goal when the Lord told them some things belong to Caesar and some other things belong to God. The Sadducees failed in their goal when the Lord Jesus took them to Bible school and said, you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. You guys are clueless, we would say in modern parlance. They had not paid attention and given a careful reading of their own scripture, uh, not knowing that uh, those in that age in the future will not be married and that there's uh, plenty of power in God to be able to operate uh, a resurrection upon anyone whom he chooses. So we come to chapter 22 and verse uh, Got a wrong thing there. Let me get that right. 22, and we're in verse 34. 
In verse 34, it says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Or sorry, which is the great commandment in the law? And I understand that to be a um, superlative kind of comparative. It's not just a greater one, but the greatest one. So 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, there it is, the first, the highest, and the great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the Lord answers another question that they didn't ask, number, what's number two? And then he said this in verse 40, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now that's all that this text has for us. We'll touch on another one in a moment, Lord willing. So the, the uh, question is this, which is the great commandment in the law? And you're familiar with this. Uh, I could almost read over this and just pass it by and you would know what the question is and what the answer is to the Sunday school quiz question about this and all of that. But um, let's think about it a little bit more and maybe kind of give it a little bit of a fresh, uh, a refresh, if you will, or fresh reading, as some have said. It seems to be a dangerous question in a way because it's difficult for a person to take the entire law. I mean, think about how many pages that is. If somebody asked you summarize, to summarize that, what would you, you'd start sc- scanning through there and figuring out what it's all about and all of that. To boil it down to one command... What is that great commandment in the law? Now, the law is contained in what I call the non-historical narrative portions of the Old Testament. So there's historical narrative. You know, they did this, they went here, this king did that, this was a bad king, this was a good king. That's all narrative, telling the story, but that's not law. So the law is a subset of the Old Testament, which is contained mostly in which books? Not so much Genesis, Exodus, yes, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. You could say most of it is in those middle three books in the Pentateuch, but you have Deuteronomy as well. And then there's some, you know, probably scattered throughout uh, as well. But those are the main areas. And so if you were trying to, and in fact, if you have kind of a high-level view of what the Old Testament is, it's the law given and then the law extolled in wisdom literature, and it's the, the law kind of ex- illustrated in, um, in historical narratives and what happened and the failure of the nation of Israel and then the prophets calling the people back to the law. So the law is kind of the central focus of the Old Testament. And uh, so actually to summarize it, you wouldn't have to look at every verse and every chapter, but you could do so by kind of constraining yourself to those sections that we've highlighted there. It's a large body of material, but not as large as the entire Old Testament. So it seems somewhat difficult, somewhat dangerous, if you will, to try to summarize the whole thing. Difficult in that there's so much material, dangerous in that if you try to summarize it, you know, people try to summarize the whole Bible, and they kind of can go astray because they, their emphasis misses something. And you don't want to miss something when you're talking about God's Word. But there's another side of us that understands that there has to be, 
there must be some unifying principle or principles or grand themes in God's ways with man which can be expressed in a concise manner, and that is indeed the case. Our walk with God is a relational one, not one of mere religious formality or an action-centered list of commands and prohibitions. Do this and don't do that. Our religion is not that. Our religion isn't even really religion, but you know what I mean by that. It's that category of life that has to do with divine things. And because of this, there are basic principles that guide us in this relationship with God that teach us detailed principles intuitively. And besides that, humans have a built-in conscience that works with what God has written in a way that fits together well uh, for in, in the mind and heart of the believer. So we have some idea that there's got to be some big picture, 50,000 foot view uh, of things. Now the narrative doesn't give us details here as to what everything that went on and what the atmosphere was, but it was a tense atmosphere. It was a confrontational situation. You know, one by one, these groups are coming to the Lord, trying to entangle him in his talk, and it's just one attack after the other, boom, boom, boom. And yet, even so, Jesus answers straight away, and he not only gives the number one command, he gives the number two command as well, and then he says, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. He just summarized the whole thing just like that. The first of these commands, as would be, should be obvious to any observant Jewish person, was that which they emphasized in their Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You can see the same thing in a number of other passages in the Old Testament. And the reason I want to bring these to your attention is just to show you that an observant person who's been in the synagogue for any time or a Bible reader, maybe much to our shame, we haven't noticed this, um, but notice how it, it repeats this over and over again in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 12 of Deuteronomy. And now Israel... What does the Lord God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Chapter 11, 1, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, his, and his commandments always. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen. It shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you rain for your land in its season. Deuteronomy 11.22 For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to hold fast to Him. Deuteronomy 13.3 You shall not listen to the words of the prophet or dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy 19 and verse number 9. Moses writes, And if you keep all these commandments and do them, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to walk in His ways, then you shall add more cities for yourself. These are the cities of refuge. Uh, 
Joshua 22, verse number 5. And I'm, I'm not going to go through any more after this. There are more, but I didn't write down more. 22, 5, it says in Joshua, But take careful heed to do the commandment which the law in the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, to hold fast to Him, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. So this is not an isolated command in the Old Testament, is it? All throughout Deuteronomy, you see it in Joshua. You see it in, uh, you see something similar here in Leviticus in a moment. All of it built on God's love, and then if you love God, you'll keep His commandments. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Kind of New Testament-ish, almost. But it's because the New Testament is Old Testament-ish, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so very clear. Love the Lord your God. As for, there's several kind of details here, but I don't want to get caught up on them. And here's what I'm referring to. You read that verse and you'll say, well, is it love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, or is it your mind, soul, heart, strength? You know, is it three items? Is it four items? Um, what, what's going on there? Is it physical strength? Is it the mind or is it the heart? What do the different translations say? If you're focusing on that, you're not on the right track. The right track is not to explain the different divisions of the human makeup in the mind and heart and soul and strength and all of that. That each part needs to love the Lord, and you're trying to figure out those different parts. Rather, by specifying some parts of our Constitution, God and in Christ, God and Christ are saying that all of us needs to love Him. All of us needs to love Him. It's, he, he could say you need to love the Lord your God from top to bottom. You need to love the Lord your God inside and out. Uh, you know, right side up and upside down. Mind and body. You need to love him soul and spirit. Any way that you can think of to express the wholeness of humanity, any, any, you know, any grammatical expression to say all of you, you need to love God entirely, totally, completely with everything you have. Nothing less is worthy of the love that God has shown us. Nothing less is worthy of the mercy and grace that God has poured out upon us. Nothing less than total devotion to God. Total devotion. So don't get sidetracked in the parts and the pieces. He's talking about the whole kit and caboodle, right? I think that's helpful emphasis for us to keep in mind and we don't get caught up in some of those unnecessary or sidetracking details. The second summarizing command cited by Jesus is from Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is a second or a corollary because if you love God, you will love your neighbor. Why? Because your neighbor was made by God. Your neighbor serves God. 
in some way, hopefully serves him well, and your neighbor is a care to God. If you mistreat your neighbor, that's an offense to God, and it shows no love for God. So out of the love of God flows the love of neighbor, but just to uh, kind of call it out and make it nice and clean, you have your vertical love and you have your horizontal love toward your neighbor. Now, who is your neighbor? I don't mean to ask that question like a certain person did in the Gospels, you know, when the Lord then told the story of the Good Samaritan. But your neighbor is just about anyone you come into contact with. That's your neighbor. You know, you're closer to people you don't know than you think you are. You know, they're, they're only they are only a cer- certain number of degrees removed from you in terms of the human family tree. They're humans made in the image of God that you may have to go back a number of generations to get some kind of common ancestry, but we're all, we're all connected back through Noah and clan there. Your neighbor is just about anyone you come into contact with in your neighborhood, at the store, on the street, or even on social media. Some people forget about that. The anonymity of the computer makes them think, well, I don't have to treat my, my contacts or my, my uh, you know, people on this list of people here in a neighborly fashion because it's just a computer. Well, those are real people there that you're communicating with. And with the parable of the Good Samaritan, even a Samaritan might be a neighbor to you as the Lord said. Which of them was neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? Well, it was the Good Samaritan, and that, of course, was a shocking thing to the Levites and the Pharisees and the priests and all the Jewish people there because they would never think, you know, somebody from that side of the tracks is my neighbor. Once again, we see that a a good working knowledge of the Old Testament is crucial in our understanding of the New Testament. Many principles in the old are reviewed in the new. There are new things, of course, otherwise the new would not be truly progressive revelation, but so much is the same. So much is the same, the great commandments. And if we have that working knowledge, we see that the two commandments that the Lord Jesus cites here in this short passage are linchpins of the whole system. If you love God, you will not have any other gods. You will not make idols. You will not commit idolatry. You will not use the name of the Lord in vain if you love the Lord. And if you're a Jewish person back in the day, you would also keep the Sabbath because he told you to do that in the fourth commandment. If you love God's creation, you will honor your parents. And you will not murder and not commit adultery and not steal and not lie and not covet because those things are not manifestations of love. I've just gone through all of the Ten Commandments right there. They are, these these, these, um, things, these activities prohibited by the Ten Commandments are manifestation of selfishness and hate, not love. In other words, as Jesus says, on these two commandments, to love God and love your neighbor, hang all the law, and the prophets. At least we've shown that upon them hangs the Ten Commandments, and upon the Ten Commandments hangs all the rest of the law in the Old Testament. They summarize the whole matter. Now, something else happened in this conversation that's not recorded in Matthew, and we have to turn to Mark to find it. So let's turn to Mark chapter 8. 
in Mark chapter 8 and verse 32. Let's see if I have that right. Is that right? Looks like I've tripped myself up there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, I don't know how it is. Two times I wrote the typed the wrong chapter in here. Must be that new keyboard. It's messing me up. <laughs> Got the numbers in the wrong spot or something. It's Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And it's in verse 32. Verse uh, so actually this we know this is a similar passage or similar same event because the Sadducees ask about the resurrection. Earlier in the chapter, the Pharisees asked about paying taxes, and now here the scribe asks, uh, what is the greatest commandment, the first commandment of all? And so we, we can read from 28, 29, 30, 31, uh, and then we get to 32. And so the Lord, when he answered the question about uh, no commandment greater than these, all the law and the prophet hang on these, these two commandments, verse 32 says, so the scribe, this is the one who asked him the question, said, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength. So there's heart, understanding, soul, strength. So he puts four there. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. You know why they didn't dare question him anymore? Hold that question in your mind. So I think that Matthew ends kind of abruptly without a rebuke or a correction or further questions by the Pharisees because of what we read here in Mark 12. The Lord has stumped them with their first question. He's destroyed them with their second question. And now he's almost got one of them converted and into the kingdom on the third question. They figure this is going in the wrong direction. We don't want it to go this way. Now, for him, it's going in the right direction. For us, we love it. But for them, they're like, man, one of our best lawyers is almost in the kingdom of this Jesus, fellow, we got to stop while we're behind or, you know, before we get farther behind, quit digging because we're digging a deeper hole for ourselves. And so he's getting too close to believing what Jesus was saying. The lawyer or the scribe here said Jesus was correct. What an admission from somebody who is in a group of people who are trying to hatefully get rid of Jesus. So the lawyer restated what Jesus said, that there's only one true God and that we are to love him and, and then consequently to love our neighbors as ourselves. And then he adds that this is more important than offerings or sacrifices. And in fact, all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He had a grasp on the fact that being faithfully obedient to the Lord is the center of biblical teaching. The offerings and sacrifices, despite their prominent place in some minds, 
are, were at most secondary to loving God. That's why one of the reasons why we're so strict to make sure that when people say something incorrect like, well, they had to, to be saved, they had to keep the sacrifices in the Old Testament. That is so wrong. To be saved, they had to love God, to be, believe in Him. Abraham believed in God and God imputed to him for righteousness. That love then expressed itself in obedience, just like your love ought to express itself in obedience in the way that you're told in this era, not by whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, but by other things. You know, the disciplines of the spiritual life. We've said them many, many, many times. Attention to God's word, gathering together, being in church, praying, witnessing, all of those things that demonstrate your love for the Lord. So he got this. And Jesus commended him for this wise answer and commented that this one was not far from the kingdom of God. That is, now if he's not far from the kingdom of God, what does that mean? Well, it means he's not far from being born again because that's John chapter 3, verse 3 and 5. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. And then John chapter 3, verse 5, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, speaking of the cleansing work, the forgiveness, and the uh, new, new life-giving work of the Holy Spirit, this man was close to all of that. And uh, boy, that's tremendous. And hopefully he did actually end up coming to faith in the Lord. And so this was the end of the questions, at least from the opponent's to Jesus. Too much interaction with Jesus was harming their cause and endangering some of their people because they might actually start to believe in him. You know, when, they, when he, he's in this Q&A session and he answers every question perfectly and it connects with the Old Testament and it makes so much sense to them, people are going to start believing. So they say, well, we better stop this Q&A session getting too embarrassing. The passage that we've looked at here tonight uh, both in Mark 12, thank you for uh, getting me there, and for, uh, and for Matthew 22, is easy enough to understand, isn't it? The question is this. The question is this. Are you holding back something in your love for God? We're told to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. With everything that we have, are you holding back something from God? Do you have love for God at all? Or do you just love yourself? What is love anyway? Think about that sometime. Just sit and think, what is love? Affection, appreciation, gratitude, willingness to serve, willingness to help others, although, of course, you can't help God. I mean, he doesn't need help. But you know what I mean. Concern for the best and the one loved. Seeking to increase the honor of the person who is loved. Don't you do that with your spouse, your children, your loved ones in the church? Don't you love to see if you're not in your selfish mindset, mode of thinking? Don't you just love to see others elevated? And Because you, are, you love them and you're, you're so glad that they are receiving... Uh, recognition and, and all of that, seeking to increase the, in, the honor and the glory of the one who's loved like we should for God. 
Do you have any kind of relationship like this with God through faith? Have you maybe fallen down on the job and left your first love as the love of things or people or entertainment or pleasure or ease or riches taken a front seat? Have material things grabbed a hold of your heart and God has been sent to the back seat in the car or maybe farther back to the back seat of the bus? You know, not not very close at all to the front seat where you sit. Do you love God like this verse tells you with everything you have? Or is Christianity a piece of your life? You know what I mean? It's like the Sunday piece or the 10% piece. But I've got a lot of other things I love, a lot of other things that are high priority, I forget God. Don't forget God. The Lord has told us. Uh, you know, I wanted to bring this to, your, to you this way tonight to, to apply the text, to remind us that the Lord is telling us here that we must love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and souls and minds, all that we are. And that commandment is nothing uh, new, And it's nothing obsolete. It's not either too new or too old. It is always relevant. And the way that we express that love, of course, is a little adjusted because of the age in which we are and the people whom we are, Gentiles, most of us. But it is still the greatest necessity that we love God. And so I pray that you do love God with everything you have. Let us pray to that end. Father... Tonight we have looked at a very important instruction, one that in fact Jesus himself, the Son of God, says is the most important, followed by the second most important. And Lord, as we bow tonight, I pray that each one of us listening here live in the building or online live or afterwards on the recording will consider our ways and ask ourselves, do we really love God or do we love this world? Are we friends of God or friends of the world? Have we left our first love? Have we ever had God as our first love? Or do we just love self? God, I pray now, right now at this time, your spirit will work in each heart. From mine in the front to the person in the back of the auditorium or elsewhere in the building. And out there, whoever's watching, perhaps a handful of people on YouTube or who will watch later. And Lord, don't allow us to just blow off what has been said here. These are not my words. We confess, God, that they are your words that you have called us to love you with everything. And, and as we read in Deuteronomy, it's not just because you're some selfish person. It's because you gave us these commandments for our good. There is nothing better than for a man to love his God with all of his being. And he will be the happiest, the most joyful, the most productive, the most honored fellow because he loves his God and seeks 
the best for God in his life. Help us with that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We wish you all a very good night. I pray that that word has brought the necessary conviction and encouragement to you. Uh, if you do say in your heart, yes, I do love God. I know I have a few, <laughs> a few too many faults, but... I really want to love God, then, you know, be happy, be glad, be joyful, and keep on keeping on in that path. Amen. You all have a good night. Those of you online, thank you for taking the time to join us. We hope to see you sometime soon, and uh, may God keep you and bless you. Amen. Drive home safely. <laughs>